Um, yeah, like you said, it's great to be here. I am from Virginia, but y'all all know that, okay? And uh, we got a word tonight that um, been praying hard here about, and um, we'll see how it goes, okay? Y'all ready to go with me? Amen. Uh, it's peculiar preaching here because I don't like using microphones. It's there you Wow. <laughs> Holy cow. <laughs> it's peculiar preaching here uh, because, um, man, I, like I said last time, I've never been among a body where I feel like the folks are getting it so right. You know what I mean? I mean, just going out, um, spreading the gospel. Got a passion for Jesus that's crazy. Okay? So I'm always, uh, I walked in Eric's office and said, what are you doing Wednesday? I said, uh, I'll be at church. He said, you want to preach? I said, absolutely. And then I have to go into immediate prayer, Curtis, because it's a peculiar place to preach because you guys are on fire. So what do we say to a, a family, a group of family members that is blazing for Jesus Christ? What do you say? Huh? Make your flame bigger? Okay. In the midst of the revival that's obviously occurring, okay, we're in it. So we can pray that God sustains it now. We've prayed that it would come for a long time. It's here. So let's pray that it grows. Okay, let's pray that it grows. And um, I pray to Jesus, Lord, what do I speak to my family about? They get it right so much. It's so awesome to be a part of you guys. And um, he's asked me to... Um, speak on a topic that is essential to us sustaining revival. Okay? Essential to sustaining revival because, Cody, we want to carry it, don't we? We want to take it out of here and all across the nation. And in order to sustain the rapid pace at which God will take us when we step in and fully let Him use our life, the only way to sustain that is being broken for souls. Okay? I'm going to do my best to illustrate what's on my heart, and I'm going to fail miserably. But God is going to come through in a mighty way tonight. Okay? And, and I, want, I want to go ahead and give the invitation now. Okay? I'm giving the invitation now that when God pricks your heart, breaks your heart in whatever way, shape, or form, you do not wait till the end. Because there's not going to be music or anything to shut her down. I'm giving a commission at the end. My altar call starts now. If you want to be touched by God and you want to be broken in a way that will allow you to be a sustainer of revival, then at any moment and any time God pricks your heart, it's now. Because we have no time to waste. There's no time to waste. I'm going to speak to you about... Um, uh, grieving for souls. Grieving for lost souls. I'm going to uh, read out of this as just uh, uh, an introduction. I've been praying for two weeks on finding certain scriptures and things that related to the act of weeping for the lost. How do you weep and wail for the lost? I sat here with my brother Mike, who's here right now. It's been on us all day. And I could not, I couldn't fight hard enough for over two hours to make one tear 
hit this carpet for dying souls, there's a serious problem. That's a serious problem, man. And the man preaching the message is telling you he's got that problem. It's a serious, serious, serious problem when we can't kneel on this altar for two hours and make one tear hit the carpet for lost souls. That's a problem. I cried right there where Charlie was sitting and told Mike, why in the world am I preaching this message? It took me almost two hours to get one tear out. For lost souls, that is. Not with the emotional appeal of stories and songs and sounds. To where God's heart broke my heart for the lost souls. That's why we're living. I'm going to read you a couple little things. Uh, the title of the sermon tonight is called Between the Porch and the Altar. Okay? And it's January 16th. Um, I'm going to open with this Oswald J. Smith. The book Steve Bartlett gave me a couple of days ago, and it was right in stride with the things that I was trying to learn and was having trouble piecing them together. This did it for me. Can we travail for a drowning child, but not for a perishing soul? It is not hard to weep when we realize that our little one is sinking below the surface for the last time. Anguish is spontaneous then. Not hard to agonize when we see the casket containing all that we love on earth, born out of the home. Ah, no tears are natural at such time. But oh, to realize and know that souls, precious, never dying souls are perishing all around us, going out into the, going out into the blackness and darkness of despair, eternally lost, and yet to feel no anguish, shed no tears, no, no travail, how cold our hearts are. How little we know of the compassion of Jesus. And yet God can give us this. And the fault is ours if we do not find it. When I sit here in anguish and fight for two hours to shed one tear. For something that I'm committing my life to. There's a problem. And it's not nobody's fault but Zeke's. It's his fault. Nothing short of continuous, agonizing, pleading for souls, hours upon hours, days and nights of prayer will ever avail. We read biographies of our forefathers who were most successful in winning souls. The men who were most successful at winning souls, they prayed hours and hours in private. Hours in private. All men of God have become mighty in prayer. The sun never rose over China. We are told, without finding Hudson Taylor on his knees. The sun never rose over China without it finding Hudson Taylor on his knees. No wonder his ministry has been so wonderfully owned of God. I have often, this is speaking of the life of John Smith. I've often seen him come downstairs in the morning after spending several hours in prayer with his eyes swollen with weeping. We would soon introduced the subject of his anxiety, and he would say, I am a broken-hearted man. Yes, indeed, I am unhappy. Not for myself, but on the account of others. God has given me such a sight of the value of precious souls that I cannot live if souls are not saved. And you want to hear his statement? 
Who knows what Patrick Henry said? Give me liberty or give me... Now, I think that was Patrick Henry. Am I correct? Well, this man says, give me souls or else I'll die. Give me souls or let me die. So how do we get to that place? How do we get to the place where I don't have to sit for hours to make myself muster up one tear for the fact that people are dying and going to hell every day? How do we get there? Travailing in prayer. Yearning in prayer. Yearning in prayer. The single greatest moment in my life, guys, were, were distinct memories and decisions that prevail at this moment are among the times of absolute deep heartache in my life. In those moments, I didn't have to fight for tears. We've all faced death in here. At least I'm sure a good majority of us have. We've all faced heartache, relationship size. We've all faced heartache on many levels. Anybody in here have, a, have had a very hard moment? At least one? Okay. Did you have to fight for the tears or did you have to fight to keep them back? I've stood, most of the caskets that I've stood over, and I've preached a lot of funerals, most of the caskets that I've stood over, at least 50% of them were my family. And I stood there like this, biting my lip, because I begged God to let me preach the gospel without getting lost in my emotion. Why should I stop it? Why shouldn't I travail and weep for the lost? If you were to uh, come up here and, and uh, tell me right now, Zeke just got a phone call. You just lost your family in a car accident. I would wail in ways that would be uncontrollable. I would probably flail all over these chairs. I would feel like dying. You wouldn't be able to stop me from crying. You couldn't say, oh, it's okay. God's will is best. You couldn't say nothing that would keep me from just weeping and weeping and weeping. And yet, all around us, souls perish and go to hell forever. And it takes me two hours to get one tear for a soul. Problem. We're in revival and we're going to carry it. But the only way to sustain it is to mourn and travail and anguish for souls because you're not going to keep getting up at 5 in the morning and going to the jail out of obligation and you won't keep getting up at 5 in the morning and going to the streets out of obligation you have to yearn for those souls we have to yearn for them and it breaks my heart that I have trouble crying over that when it's my life mission my life mission is to win souls and I struggle to cry and weep for the lost. May God break that mold tonight, guys. Because to carry this revival and to keep it pushing on and to keep it moving on, we've got to learn to weep for souls. We've got to learn to weep for souls. Uh, without a doubt, revival only sustains in a spirit of brokenness because it produces the very equipment that we need, which is passion, it's focus. The, tr the truth is this, if God is not... If, if what God is doing among us does not continue to break the threshold of that door, it won't last. And I commend you because you are. 
We are. We're going out in the threshold. But if the revival that takes place in here doesn't continue to break that threshold, it won't last. It can't sustain. The only way we can carry it, guys, is to weep for the lost. To weep for the lost. Um, I'm going to tell you all a story real quick. Okay? Four years ago, four years ago, an event took place at my youth group that really, shat, really shook me up a bit. It shook me up a lot. Uh, upon preaching the Word of God, um, I did a little altar call, counseling kind of thing, you know, just like we do here. Like, the Word's been preached. How'd God, uh, how'd God move in your heart? And let's deal with it. And so it was a massive group that night because another church had came in to join us uh, for this service. And we just had so much happening. Man, I'm running to and fro, Brother Charlie. I'm running to and fro trying to give a good prayer, give a good prayer, work with this one, work with this one. Somebody taps you on my shoulder and says, your nephew is in the gymnasium weeping. The kid's weeping. And so without looking like, like I'm playing favorites, I made my way to my nephew. And he's weeping in a way that I know it's something serious. Man, there's kids around, 13-year-old uh, boys don't weep in front of other boys. He's weeping. I walk in there. These big old teardrops smashing against the floor. And I say, man, you know, I'm nervous because this is my family. What's going on here? I say, man, what's, what's going on? Will you let me into your heart? And just sobbing uncontrollably said, tonight God broke my heart for the fact that people die and go to hell because they don't know Jesus. And I just stood there. <coughs> what do you say to that? What do you say to that? A 13-year-old is weeping uncontrollably because souls are dying and going to hell and the man who just taught him that couldn't make himself do it if he had to. There's a problem. We need brokenness. It's the only thing that sustains. It's the only thing that sustains. The question to ponder is this as we get into the Word. When was the last time that you wept by yourself for a lost soul? When was the last time that your heart was broken for dying souls? That's the message of my heart, guys. I'm preaching it to you, but it's all for Zeke too. Because I just confessed to you that it took me two hours. And I don't want it to. I don't want it to. I don't want it to take me two hours to weep for the lost. I don't want to cry harder at the thought of any other thing but the eternal destiny of those out there. <coughs> When Mike and Brent and I were downtown, we were trying to sing and preach. And we were looking over at, you know, groups of men who were, you know, um, looking somewhat hostile at us. I said, look, Mike, we're nervous, we're insecure, we're scared, but what if we did this? What if you pretended that Devin was in that group? Would it change what we did right now? Oh, God, yes. It absolutely would. If it was Ezekiel standing among those men, 
I would weep. Son, come out. Come out. I love you. I want your soul to belong to Jesus. Leonard Ravenhill said this, There will be no broken-hearted people until we have broken-hearted preachers. I'm going to give one last little illustration here and then I'm moving straight through the Scriptures. And my only prayer, guys, is that God will break our hearts. That's it. I have no agenda, nothing other than that. God, break our hearts. Make us feel the anguish that Jesus felt. Make us feel the hurt that He felt. It's the only way we'll keep going. It's the only way we can keep going. And I'm praying against hardness right now in my own heart. That anything callous would be ripped out. Because we get hard. I can think of times when I cried easier than I do today. I, can, I don't know what in the world the hardness... Uh, the callousness of our heart comes. But whatever it is, we got to find it and kill it. Amen. Because every hero that I read about and hear, every hero that we can find a good testimony of, these cats prayed and weeped for hours. And they saw the very thing that we want so bad. Continued revival. And we're going to get it, guys. Amen? Amen? New Year's. New Year's Eve. Everybody's partying here and praising God in. At 11.58, I was with my family back in Virginia. I turned on the television at 11.58 so we could do the countdown and bang pots and pans in the street. Family tradition, and it's fun. The kids love it. The kids love it. Clock counts down, and the first image I see is two men kissing on national television. Okay? You say, Zeke, well, you wouldn't have seen that if you were here. Yeah, but Zeke needed to see that. Zeke needed to see that because... When I seen it, you know what the first thought that went through my mind was? Frustration. It's frustrating. When are people going to get it? This world's disgusting. I'm frustrated. That was gross. Not angry, but frustrated. Well, how am I going to carry a revival with an attitude like that? Because God tells me I need to, I should have been broken for that. I should have wept for that. I should have cried and said, God, forgive them, help them, reveal yourself to them. That's what these men did. And they did a pretty good job. That leads me to Nehemiah. If you would go there for me, we will get in the Word for a few minutes. God, break our hearts tonight. Break our hearts, break our hearts, break our hearts, God, that we can continue to carry what You've given us, God. This church is in revival, and it's going out into this city, and it's going out into this nation. And God, we want to do a good job with what You've given us. We want to sustain it. We want to walk in it. We want to carry it. And God, we know that having a broken heart an undivided passion for souls is the only way that we will continue to do it. Break our hearts tonight, Jesus. Yes. Nehemiah. Did Nehemiah prevail, yes or no? Yes. Nehemiah prevailed. Yes. Nehemiah prevailed. Well, you can flip through a few chapters. Number two, uh, maybe it was because of his confidence. He says quickly at the last verse of chapter two, God will give us success. Was it, was it Nehemiah's confidence that made him prevail? <laughs> perhaps it's 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 arguable, but perhaps um, you can go on in chapter three. Look at how everything is is designed. His leadership. Go on to chapter four. He raises up when they're discouraged, and he's saying, "Look, fight, 
rise up and fight? Is it, is it his leadership ability that made Nehemiah prevail? Perhaps. Leadership's very important. What about his faith? Oh man, in chapter 4 and verse 20, he's like, our God will fight with us. Maybe it was his faith. Okay? Maybe over in verse 6 of chapter 5, when he's, he's crying out, maybe it's his courage again. Could it be his courage? Yes. Could it be his faith? Yes. Could it be his leadership? Yes. Could it be his confidence? Yes. But I don't think any of those in and of themselves are the reason he prevailed. The reason he prevailed is found in verses 1 through 4. The words of Nehemiah, the sons of Hakaliah. Now it happened in the month of Chisley, in the 20th year while I was in Susa, the capital, that Hannah and I, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and survived the cap captivity and about Jerusalem. They said to me, the remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach. And the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. Nehemiah heard about the trouble among his people. But did he get frustrated? Did he say, oh, can't believe them. They're crazy. Nehemiah, Nehemiah heard these words. He sat down and he wept and he mourned for days. He sat down and he wept and he mourned for days. Nothing short of absolute tragic death on this earth has ever even come close to making me feel like mourning for days. How am I ashamed of that? I'm learning to weep for souls, guys. And I just want to learn with you. I'm learning to travail in my prayer closet for the lost and dying world that I may come out of it and be a wild man on fire for Jesus. I'm just trying to learn with you guys. He sat down and he wept and he mourned for days. Why did Nehemiah prevail? He was broken for the people. Why was his leadership so good? Because he was broken for the people. Why was his courage unstoppable? Because he was broken for the people. Why was his faith in God relentless? Because he was broken for the people. When you're broken for somebody, you just don't stop. You just don't stop. There's more power in a broken heart for souls than maybe we'll ever know. So confession time as I already did, right? When I viewed the absolute abomination that I seen on that screen, my first emotion was frustration. My heart didn't break for those souls. And since then I've been on this journey to weep. I planned on setting the tent up in the third ward and preaching right away. And God said, you haven't wept for one soul yet. Pray for a month first. You're not going to fool them. Some little campaign. Go weep for them. Weep and weep and weep and cry for the souls. And then maybe God will grant them to us. Because we can't win them alone. We can't do it. We, we just can't do it. 
So if there was a formula for revival, and I don't give formulas, but if there was a formula for revival, it would be passion for souls, weeping for souls, develop a relentless, broken heart for the lost. Joel the prophet gives us an interesting and powerful command. And because of the timelessness of the word of God, we can trust that it's for us today. That we can draw from it and glean from it. Hey, but before going to that, let's go to Chronicles real quick. I just want to read something real quick in Chronicles. In Chronicles 36, verse 14, it says this. Chronicles 36, 14, we're just going to read this verse real quick and, and move on to Ezekiel. But in Chronicles 36, 14, it says, Furthermore, all the officials of the priests and the people were very unfaithful, following all the abominations of the nations, and they defiled the house of the Lord, which He had sanctified in Jerusalem. Mainly highlighting there, guys, the officials and priests were unfaithful. Officials and priests unfaithful. Please turn with me to Ezekiel. Uh, please turn with me. Okay, Ezekiel chapter 8. I'm going to read all of this, okay, guys? This is good. It's leading us to the porch and the altar. It's leading us to the porch, between the porch and the altar. And then we will disperse to our prayer closets. Okay? Nea, I mean, Ezekiel uh, chapter number 8. Ezekiel chapter number 8 gives a great insight into the heart of he has a he has a insight into what's going on in the temple when God takes him up. Let's read it. Y'all ready? ready. Uh, Ezekiel chapter eight. Try to visualize this and picture this and feel this, guys. Let God ask God to change your heart tonight. Ask him. Ask him to change your heart. Jesus, change my heart. I want to break for what breaks your heart. Last time that I preached on brokenness, it was on brokenness for sin. We had a lady in that chair get up and run straight out of the building. Today I'm preaching on brokenness, but it's brokenness for souls. Brokenness for souls. And it's similar, but it's so different. Ezekiel 8. And it came about in the sixth year, on the fifth day of the sixth month, as I was sitting in my house with the elders of Judah, sitting before me, that the hand of the Lord God fell on me there. Then I looked and behold a likeness as the appearance of a man. From his loins and downward there was the appearance of fire. And from his loins and upward the appearance of brightness like the appearance of glowing metal. He stretched out the form of a hand and caught me by the lock of my head. Okay? He stretched out the form of a hand, and he caught me by the lock of my head, and the Spirit lifted me between earth and heaven and brought me in visions of God to Jerusalem to the entrance of the north gate of the inner court where the seat of the idol of jealousy, which provokes to jealousy, was located. And behold, the glory of God of Israel was there like the appearance which I saw in the plain. Then he said to me, Son of man, rise, your eyes now toward the north. So I raised my eyes towards the north, and behold, to the north of the altar gate was the idol of jealousy at the entrance. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? 
the great abominations which the house of Israel are committing here, so I would be far from my sanctuary, but yet you will see greater abominations. Then he brought me to the entrance of the court, and when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. And he said, Son of man, dig through the wall. So I dug through the wall, and behold, an entrance. And he said to me, Go in and see the wicked abominate, the wicked abominations that they are committing there. So I entered and I looked, and behold, every form of creeping thing and beast and detestable things with all the idols of the house of Israel were carved, were carved on the wall all around. Standing in front of them were 70 elders of the house of Israel with Jazaniah and the son of Shaphan standing among them, each man with his censer in his hand and the fragrance of the cloud of the incense rising. Then he said to me, Son of man, do you see what the elders of the house of Israel are committing in the dark? Each man in the room of his carved images. For they say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. And he said to me, Yet you will see greater abominations which they are committing. Then he brought me to the entrance of the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north. And behold, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. He said to me, Do you see this, son of man? Yet you will see greater abominations than these. Then he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house. And behold, at the entrance of the temple of the Lord, between the porch and the altar, were about 25 men with their backs to the temple of the Lord and their faces towards the east. And they were worshiping eastward toward the sun. And he said, Do you see this, son of man? Is it too light a thing for the house of Judah to commit the abominations which they have committed here? That they have filled the land with violence and provoked me repeatedly. For behold, they are putting the twig to their nose. Therefore I indeed will deal in wrath. My eye will have no pity, nor will I spare. And though they cry in my ears with a loud voice, yet I will not listen. Ezekiel went into the innermost before the Holy of Holies, between the porch and the altar. Between the porch and the altar, a sacred spot located in the inner court where only priests were permitted to tread. And what did he find there? 25 men worshiping, not God. in the most intimate place, defiling the house of God, in the inner court between the porch and the altar, when nobody's looking, when nobody's looking, nobody can see, what does your heart look like there? The importance of personal quiet, solitude, heart-wrenching prayer before God Almighty is the most essential aspect of our life. Corporate prayer is, is massively important. But where are we at when not a soul in the world can see us except Jesus? And here comes Joel. Don't forget to Joel 2. 
this is the command that we're going for today. May God continue to stir our hearts. It says Joel 2.17 Let the priest and the Lord's ministers weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, Spare your people, O Lord, and do not make your inheritance a reproach. And by my word among the nations, why should they among the people say, Where is their God? Then the Lord will be zealous for His land. He'll be zealous for us. When? When we are weeping between the porch and the altar. I was so intrigued for days at why Joel 2 said that. Why between the porch and the altar? And maybe there's no particular reason why. But as I go back and investigate things like Ezekiel, that is the, it is the inner part right outside the Holy of Holies. And it was defiled before. It makes sense that God would make him start right there where the core is at, where nobody else is looking. When you look and you see that the bronze laver is between the porch and the altar, the very place where the priests had to cleanse themselves, you wonder why God didn't tell them to weep between the porch and the altar, the place of cleansing, the place of humble beginning where you're getting it right in your own heart because we can impress a ton of people. We can put on a show for a ton of people. Why weep for souls? It's the only way revival prevails. Why between the porch and the altar? It's our most intimate place alone. No one knows. No one sees. No one can be impressed by our acts of service to man. Because it is the very place where God knows and sees the absolute original intent of our heart. He knows the original intent of our heart by what comes out of our <coughs> prayer closet. That's where it's at. If nobody can see anything moving in your life, they would make a good assumption to say that you probably don't have a prayer closet. Oh, to weep for hours upon hours in a day for lost souls. Guys, if that clicks to us, I'm telling you, this, this man will leave here nowhere near where he needs to be. Okay? But this is a preacher seeking to become a weeping preacher. I want to weep. I want to wail for souls as if I was at my own child's funeral. People like that have changed the entire world. To weep for souls like I would weep at the casket of my own child. How to get there, Jesus. <clears throat> By wrapping yourself up in a prayer closet so tight, so dedicated and laying there and yearning for Jesus. Look at our role models, huh? Our role models did it. And Daniel 10, the man fasted and 
and mourned and weeped for three weeks. He was robbed of all his strength. It says the color of his skin was different. Ezekiel 4, because of the iniquity of the people. Ezekiel 4, 4, man laid on his right side. For how many days? 40. And God let him move to his left side. For how many? I think 390, but check the math. It's in Ezekiel 4, 4. You look at 1 Samuel. When Hannah anguishes for something, she gets Samuel. She yearned for it. So much, she was broken so much that she gave him away. That's what brokenness does. It makes you do things you wouldn't normally do. It makes you go places you wouldn't normally go. You told me three years ago that I would walk the streets of the third ward. I'd have said, you're nuts. You are a nut. Now my heart's broken for somebody. I can't not go. You look at Nehemiah. He didn't get frustrated or angry. He sat down and he wept. He wept. You look at Jeremiah. When was he not crying? When was he not weeping? You know, I like this little passage in Jeremiah 8. I'd like to read it together. I'd like to read it. Jeremiah chapter 8. Verse 18. I just, I like it. It fits. Break our hearts, Jesus. Break our hearts. Jeremiah 8, 18. My sorrow. I'll wait till you get there. Uh, Jeremiah 8, 18. <coughs> Jeremiah 8, 18. My sorrow is beyond healing. My heart is faint within me. Behold, listen, the cry of the daughter of my people from a distant land. Is the Lord not in Zion? Is her king not with her? Why have they provoked me with their graven images, with foreign idols? Harvest is past. Summer is ended. We are not saved. For the brokenness of the daughter of my people, I am broken, I mourn. Dismay has taken hold of me. Is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then has not the health of the daughter of my people been restored? Do you know what's going to make us keep fighting for the lost? Do you know what's going to, going to make us keep opening our homes? Do you know what's going to make us keep, keep on going out and keep on going out? We don't have the money. We don't have the time. We don't have the resources. We don't have the skill sets. Do you know what will keep us doing that? brokenness for souls. It'll keep us going. It'll keep us going because we can't stop. Because we love them and we value them. And the very thought of a soul dying and going to hell should rip our hearts apart. It should rip our hearts apart. I have, I have longed. And don't think I'm a cold-hearted man. I cry a little bit. A lot sometimes. But my nephew that day, that, that wailing like that, I've only done it in the midst of earthly tragedy. I need to get there. If I'm going to carry a revival with you, if we're going to hit this city and take this city and take this country, whatever, we've got to travail in prayer for souls. We've got to. We've got to travail in prayer for souls. 
fasting and praying and yearning. You say, well, God doesn't want us brokenhearted. Well, He does. It's called godly sorrow. It's written about in 2 Corinthians. It's written about in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 10. Worldly sorrow brings destruction. Godly sorrow. Godly sorrow. <coughs> that is according to the will. Let's go there. 2 Corinthians. Y'all want to go to 2 Corinthians yeah. chapter 7? Because we got to make sure this is right, man. Is it right for us to weep for souls? Yeah. It absolutely is. It's, is it right for us to have a prayer closet where we learn to yearn and travail for the lost? Yes, it is. Godly sorrow is a gain. I'm telling you, no, the Bible's telling us. 2 Corinthians 7 and 10. Let's see what we got here. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret leading to salvation. But the sorrow that the world produces is death. It's biblical to weep for the lost. Trust me. Not just, our role models weren't in disobedience when they did it. They weren't. Nehemiah looked silly. I'm telling you, you're going to look silly. These, these fellows and ladies, they look silly perhaps, but guess what? Travailing for souls has to become a part of our everyday life. And I'm happy to seek it with you guys. I'm happy to keep each other accountable because I am, I am fighting to get there. <laughs> fighting hard to get there. Fasting, praying, fighting off fatigue. You roll out of bed at four in the morning. You want to pray? Ah, oh, let's just sleep. But wait, souls are in the balance. Should I pray? Should I pray? Let's start. Let's start somewhere, guys. Let's start somewhere. If we could just start somewhere. Why between the porch and the altar? Because it's an intimate place. It's a place where nobody knows what you're doing, but Jesus does. Does he see a broken heart that yearns for souls? Will he see you walk out? Will your husband or wife or child or, or mom or dad see you walk out of the room with poofy eyes? You say, what's wrong, sweetheart? Or honey? Or whatever? God broke my heart for souls. I can't stop crying. I want that so bad. I want, it. I want it so bad that I can taste it. I want it bad. And the only thing that holds it back is us. We are the only thing that holds it back. Oh, to have a grasp of eternity in such a way that it shreds our heart. We're going to do it, guys. We're going to do it together. I'm happy that God has spoken to us tonight. I'm happy that He's pricked our hearts to have a passion for souls. I'm happy that I'm a part of a church who is going to carry revival throughout this land and abroad. I'm, I am thrilled to be a part of what God is doing here 
And it's going to cross that threshold and it's going to expand. Man, it's going to be good. It already is good. It's going to be good and it's going to keep getting better. And I'm happy, guys, to be on this journey with you to get a, to develop a yearning for lost souls. And it's not, it's not shameful to say you don't have it. Because you can never really get it. You can never really admit that you don't have it. I've had it at times I've lost it. I've had it at times I've lost it. You, you get into the mundane, oh, we're doing church, we're doing outreach. Yeah, and it can become so systematic that God gets so far from it, it's scary. A continual yearning for souls will keep us in the exact right spot to carry an authentic gospel revival. So, they've been praying up here, and I'm going to assume that the invitation is closed because I am giving a, another invitation now, and then we're going, guys. We're going out of here. We've praised God, we've worshipped, we've prayed, and we're leaving with these three points right here. We're going to close in prayer, and we're going to we're going to disperse and go get it done. But can we all agree that as led by God, we'll put one of these three to practice? Are you with me? Yeah. I, I am. Okay, I am. Can I get more hands? I'm like an auctioneer. I got three things I want to say. And I want you to join me. Guys, we're carrying revival. We got to be serious about this. We got to be so serious and next time you see me, I don't want it to take two hours to see a tear hit this altar. Okay? Three things will help us get there. And this is the invitation. And you, you've raised your hand and told me that you're going to do it. And it doesn't really matter what you told me. Tell God that you're going to do it. Now, if you tell God you're going to do it, go home. And He's going to honor that. And we're going we're gonna to light up for Jesus. Yes. We're going to light up for Jesus because we carry something that's different. It's not that we got a good system. It's not that we got a good program. It's not that we got a good anything. We got broken hearts for souls. And that's what Jesus came, lived, wept, and died for. Amen. When we walk around with that heart, we walk around with His heart, and we can't help but shake this world up. Okay? Three things. And then I'm moving straight to prayer. And we're going to say hi and bye to everybody. And we're going to go home and do it. Number one. Go to your prayer closet tonight and pray. Or number two. Go to your prayer closet and clean it up. Okay? And number three. Go get a prayer closet. Go get a prayer closet. If you think I'm talking about a little small room in your house, I'm not saying that. There's times where I'm just in an empty space with a big quilt over me. What do you do? Three things. I'm repeating them, and I'm praying, and we're going to go forth, and God's going to give us a passion for souls. that will have us striding every day with a different light in mind, with a different thought. So the next time I see something wicked, I can say, mm, God, it breaks my heart. 
And I'm not driven by flesh and frustration. I'm driven by brokenness and the heartbeat of Jesus. Invitation, three part. Go to your prayer closet tonight and pray. Go to your prayer closet and clean it up. Or if the third one pertains to you, go start your prayer closet. And we will get there together.